Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. This week, I talk with Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint, and Theo Golden, Hint's chief operating officer. And yes, they're married. Make sure to stay tuned later in the episode to learn how you can get a free case of Hint water when you buy Kara's new book, Undaunted. Welcome to The Indispensables. I am really uh, honored and privileged to have Kara Golden and Theo Golden with us today from Hint, Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. Kara uh, has a, a storied career, but most significant right now, she's got a brand new book out called Undaunted, published by Harper Leadership. Uh, it's just out. You got to check it out. Uh, and she has a podcast called Unstoppable. Uh, her story is really extraordinary. And uh, I'm going to let her uh, tell you her story. Uh, Theo Golden, who's the chief operating officer at Hint um, and second in command. Theo, is that correct? It is. All right. So Theo and I, I, for full disclosure, were classmates at Amherst College, class of 89. Uh, and uh, uh, Theo also uh, is a graduate of the NYU School of Law, class of 94, where I mention only because uh, I am uh, also a graduate of the NYU School of Law, class of 92. Um, and Kara uh, 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 is the founder uh, of Hint and uh, Theo has been the COO since 2005. Um, and uh, with that, I want to jump in uh, to our conversation. But let me just say, Kara and Theo, welcome to the Indispensables. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to talk to you. Um, and and I, I, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. And I've watched uh, from afar as Hint has become uh, really, it's everywhere now. And uh, so let me ask you, uh, Kara, you said that your path to founding Hint was different than most uh, uh, business stories. What did your path look like? Maybe you can describe it. Well, I didn't come from the beverage industry, um, for starters, but I also didn't actually think that I, I, I didn't have hopes of ever becoming an entrepreneur. Um, so I've talked to many entrepreneurs who have shared with me that, you know, it's always been their dream to be an entrepreneur. And that really, you know, was never kind of in the thinking for me. But, you know, in looking at my career prior to Hint, I always wanted to do things that were, you know, unique and different and um, was willing to um, kind of really tackle new territory more than anything else. So I guess that's sort of the the makings of an entrepreneur, but not sort of a typical, you know, at least in our industry, beverage entrepreneur um, path. You were a VP of shopping and e-commerce in America Online. At When was that? Um, so that was... A, somewhere between 95. I mean, I was working for a startup that was actually a spin out of Apple uh, that was called Two Market that was doing CD-ROM shopping. That was kind of the, really the 
the kind of core for what ultimately became AOL's shopping. And I was there until 2001. And um, the primary reason why I actually left, it was, you know, a, a great ride and, and definitely a lot of fun and, uh, you know, built a, the billion dollars in revenue with a team for AOL. Uh, but the company was based in Washington, D.C., and uh, Theo and I were in San Francisco. And and really, I, I think the core for me, when the United pilot started knowing my name, when I like get on the flight, because I was on so many flights, I, I thought, I don't know, this like really is not very normal. And so maybe I should, you know, try and get something closer to home. And clearly, you know, San Francisco, we were living in San Francisco at the time and Silicon Valley has so many tech companies. And again, I, I didn't sort of think at that point that I was even going to go start a beverage company, but for me, it was really, you know, a time to kind of think about what, what do I really want to do maybe a little closer to home? And we didn't have zoom or any of these virtual things that we do today. So it was a, it was a lot more thinking about, you know, where's my office going to be. So that was a, that was really a lifestyle decision. Yeah. I I mean, we had started our family and I was actually pregnant with my third um, child. And, and that's when, you know, like I said, we were living in San Francisco and uh, it was, it was just a, you know, I was really trying to figure out, okay, what's next for me. And I mean, it's, it's sort of ironic now. I think I was looking at different opportunities down in Silicon Valley, which at the time was like a half an hour from San Francisco. And, you know, today it could easily take an hour to, to get down there from San Francisco, especially during rush hour. But I just didn't really want something so far away um, and really wanted to be able to, you know, be a mom as well and, and, you know, spend time um, closer to home. So that was kind of the, you know, the core thinking, but then really I made this decision while I was looking for um, my next job, I was going to get healthy. And, um, you know, a lot of people do that when they have breaks between um, different, you know, careers or, or roles. And that's when I decided I'm going to start running. I'm going to start, start shopping at this new store that had recently opened, uh, called whole foods. And, (laughs) um, and you know, it was like all healthy stuff in there and it was a little more expensive, but it looked so pretty. And that combined with exercise was going to get me healthy. And it just, you know, after giving that a try, it, it just really wasn't that easy. And, and, um, you know, it's something that I think about a lot that it's a lot harder for people to get healthy than it really seems when you actually put focus on it and make a decision to do it. And, you know, I think it's not just about being able to afford groceries at a, at a Whole Foods. I think it's, it's, or, you know, something like that. It's really about really what I saw in the industry, which was the, the fact that a lot of things are labeled diet and low fat and these other words that to me meant health and to many other people, obviously, you know, mean health as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be the size industries that they are today. But the reality is, is that most people today who are, you know, eating and drinking and sort of falling under, you know, that spell and that trickery that goes on out there are not actually getting as healthy as they want to be. So that was really 
that time between roles, I, I spent really thinking about that and how I had been marketed to around diet soda in, in particular. Yeah, I just, uh, I love that you were really one of the early leaders of um, making e-commerce a thing. Um, and then you went into a whole different industry and became one of the most creative uh, business leaders uh, in a whole different industry. The Huffington Post calls you one of the six disruptors in business, along with Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, wow. Uh, so it's, you know, Fortune calls you one of the most powerful women entrepreneurs. Uh, Fast Company calls you one of the most creative people in business. Uh, and and I love that you have been an innovator. Uh, I, I love the, that it's e-commerce. It's, it's just a world away from unsweetened flavored water. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because it seemed a world away when we launched the company in 2005 and you know there's a there's a chapter in my book where we really talk about this that you know we had a incident that was a huge high point at Hint which was getting into a major retailer Starbucks and 18 months later we learned that we were going to be um discontinued from Starbucks even though we were doing very, very well, um, but they wanted to put higher margin um, and higher ring items in the case, um, some food items. And so they had to make room um, by discontinuing some of the beverages that they had in the case. And it's interesting because we had all this product, you know, leftover that we were planning on using for um, Starbucks. And um, we ended up getting a phone call from from this other Seattle retailer, Amazon, <laughs> and they were they were launching a grocery business and obviously online. And they wanted us to put hint into, you know, the offering. And we still didn't believe um, that that was actually, you know, I don't know, Jeff Bezos has come up with a lot of little businesses that nobody hears about. And we had seen grocery in the Bay Area try to really take off with web van. And, you know, we sort of questioned whether or not it could actually be a reality for food. Obviously he had done well in books and some other categories, but when we had that product left over in the warehouse, we said, what the heck, like we might as well try. And we became one of the top items in Amazon grocery. And from that, I think we really learned that this consumer did want to buy online and did want to subscribe um, for a product like ours because they drank a lot of it. And many of our um, consumers were also working in places that had it stocked in their micro kitchens like a Google or Facebook as well. And, and so that's when we launched our own direct-to-consumer business. And you know today, that business combined with Amazon is about 55% of our overall business. So, you know, all dots kind of connect together, um, you know, including Theo's experience too. And as you know, you know, he's our chief operating officer and joined us um, really from day one helping um, because I was writing large checks off of our personal bank account to buy things like bottles. (laughs) And he was a little concerned about it. And so he jumped in to kind of help and, He's seen this journey as well, you know, just watching how it's it's grown. But I think part of that's the other piece that I really hope to 
inspire in, in, you know, people who are reading this book, which is we didn't have it all figured out. Like we definitely had doubts. Uh, you know, I had doubters um, along the way. We've had failures um, that ultimately scared us right along the way. But I think that the key thing is, is that you have to keep trying and you have to try to keep your eyes and ears wide open for different opportunities, even like the one like Amazon, which is going to maybe short term solve a problem, but long term, it could help you to actually identify, you know, possibilities and larger ways that you can actually do business. Yeah, I want to ask you about some of that adversity, but I'm glad you mentioned Theo, uh, who um, Theo has been uh, the chief operating officer since 2005. Before that, uh, was in um, uh, medical device business and has been, an, you were CEO of, of Z-Medics uh, before uh, Bosch bought it, right? Yeah, Z-Medics was a little bit ahead of its time. It was actually an artificial intelligence based uh, patient interview company. So we'd get uh, much deeper information out of the patient by, you know, listening to their answers and, and uh, asking appropriate follow-ups in a way that a doctor just didn't have uh, the time or knowledge to do. And we just package it up for the doctor in a, a one-sheeter on the patient. So when they walk in the door, you know, they, they've got to jump on what they have to do. And uh, it worked. It worked great, and it's being developed still uh, by Bosch, which owns a whole chain of hospitals in Europe. Yeah, Bosch is a good client of ours, so I'm I'm glad to give them glad to give them a shout out. But so it was an AI driven uh, patient interview system to improve diagnosis and treatment. That that was the idea, sort of early uh, early uh, AI application. Is that a better description? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and before that, you were uh, you've done a lot of things, but you've been sort of the behind the scenes. So you said you're the problem solver, but I have to say, since since we did go to school together, that uh, our classmate. Uh, who who uh, works with you guys, Terrence Sweeney, uh, said, because I said, well, what does Theo do? And he said, oh, he's he's a genius. So uh, I know you probably wouldn't describe yourself that way, but I have to get that in here somewhere. Um, and uh, but you said you're you're sort of you're a problem solver. Pro uh, you're the one who untangles problems. Is that a good way to describe your role? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I that's how I think of myself. Uh, not necessarily as a genius, that's kind to Terrence, but um, I think of myself as a problem solver in the broad sense of the word, not in terms of like, oh, we ran into a problem, how do we solve it? But, you know, what's the challenge that we're taking on here and, and how do we go about uh, addressing it? That's really what I do. I think the hardest thing, though, that an entrepreneur can do is to really frame up what is the problem. Uh, and that's something that Kara has proven over and over and over again that she is just unbelievable at. And it, you have to have, I think, a really good sense of the consumer, understand, you know, where are they in their journey, where are they coming from, and and where can you take them that will just delight them and, and meet their needs, and even if it's needs that they may not know that they have. Uh, Kara really, you know, admires Steve Jobs because that's really what he did is he had a vision for, you know, where could I take this consumer that they're just going to love to be? What can I empower them to do and how can I express that? And Kara does, you know, very similar things in a very different context, you know, the beverage industry and, and personal care uh, right now, maybe some other things in the future. But what she did 
when it came to this this idea of flavored water is first she realized that she had a problem. You know, she was really struggling with her weight, her skin. She had a lack of energy and she had tried all sorts of things to try to, you know, address that, had seen doctors. They had made all sorts of suggestions. None of them really were, you know, that helpful to her. And she had tried, you know, going to Whole Foods, eating healthy, eating organic, which obviously is a good thing to do, but it really didn't help what she viewed as her problems. And one day she realized, you know, every time I have one of those Diet Cokes, I get kind of hungry for something sweet. And she would have like a half a cookie or a muffin or something that doesn't really seem like a lot, but add it up. And, and so she said, you know, I think maybe I need to try just drinking water all day and see if that helps me. And she did that for three weeks. And I thought she, this was never going to work. Kara's not going to just drink water. She's addicted to this diet soda. Uh, but she, she stuck with it. And when she stepped off the scale three weeks later, she came running over to me and said, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't believe how much weight I've lost here, but God, I've got to stick with this. And I just am so bored of plain water. I'm going to have to figure out what to do. And I was just sort of dumbfounded by the whole thing. To be honest, I wasn't really paying that much attention until later. Uh, but she went out and she did some research and she figured out uh, some recipes for some delicious flavored water, just using fruit and infusing it into the water is how she started. And the problem that she framed up for me is that she wanted to be able to take this idea, fresh tasting, delicious tasting fruit uh, flavored water and uh, package it up so that it was convenient for people so she could empower them to fall in love with water. And that's, that's if there's anything genius in Hint, that's the genius part of it. What I did is I went out and I, I met with all these different bottlers and I quickly figured out that we're not going to be able to do this. This is not possible. The industry can't deliver a delicious, you know, really well-rounded fruit tasting product uh, that is shelf stable, you know, so it can be transported around the country and, and go into stores and sit on shelves for a while and, and still taste great. And, um, you know, they they wanted us to put in, you know, preservatives and a lot of acid to make the preservatives work. And, and besides not loving those ingredients, it also just wouldn't have tasted good if we did it that way. So I told Kara, you know, it, it's just not going to work. There's no way to do this. And I really thought that I was telling her, this is it. Like that was going to be the end of it. Kara has a lot of ideas. She'd move on to something else. But she did what I think many great entrepreneurs do. And I've learned this since then, but I didn't know it then. She said, what can we do? She said that to me. And she was, she was literally asking. And I joked back at her, well, we could have, you know, like a really short shelf life uh, product that isn't going to last very long in the grocery store, but tastes the way you want and has the ingredients that you want in it. That wasn't a solution I was offering up. But it was it was just joking around like she can't be serious. And she said, yes, that's it. That's great. That's exactly what we need because we don't have any distributors. We don't even know any distributors. We don't know uh, a lot of grocery stores. We don't know that much about how grocery stores work. 
And we need to even see, you know, if this is a worthwhile idea. Do people respond to this the way that I did? Does this mean as much to them as it really means to me? Because if it doesn't, it's a big waste of time to go figure out, you know, how to do something the industry can't figure out. But if it is worth it to our consumers, if people do get excited, and I think they will, then you'll go and you'll figure out how to make this the way that we need to make it to grow it big. In the meantime, let's just get it out there. Let's keep an eye on it. We'll drive it around in our Jeep. We'll meet people in the stores. And that's what we did for almost three years. Wow. That's uh, So at what point did you guys go to Coca-Cola with it? Well, it was actually really early on. You know, one of the great things about Kara is that she she just talks to a lot of people and uh, and they like to talk to her and they connect her and she connects them with people. You know, it's networking, you know, in, in a really good way. And um, someone put her in touch with this guy at Coke and she can tell you the, the story. But the idea is, you know, that this was right in the beginning. We were starting to distribute it. We, we saw you know, a few people that had had it really loved it, but uh, she knew long-term we're going to have to solve this really big problem. And her main thing that she wanted to accomplish was getting this out there into the world so that people could fall in love with water so they could be healthier and have more energy. And, and she didn't care if like this was our big business that we built or, or someone else wanted to take it and run with it. And, and she could, uh, she could just help them and cheer along the way. So she called, this guy at Coca-Cola, the senior guy there, thinking maybe he has the answers. I'll let her tell you the story about yeah, you know, and and I think primarily, I mean, it wasn't just distribution, but it was also just shelf life. We didn't really have you know that figured out, and we were recognizing just how hard it was. And again, you know, we had four kids under the age of six at home. It was you know we had a lot going on, and and. It just was really hard, you know, to to kind of like figure out exactly how to move this forward in any, you know, like reasonable way. And so that's when, you know, I thought, okay, if I at least talk to this person, maybe he can give me some advice. And, you know, I, I think we were really, by the time I got on the phone I with him, I, I, I wasn't even thinking this, but I think I basically like almost gave the company away to him just thinking if somebody just takes it and gets it out there, maybe that will actually be helpful, you know, to us. And it'll, you know, like Theo was saying, exposing lots more consumers to it. And somewhere along the way, you know, when I was describing the company and basically offering to just give it to him, he responded back, sweetie, Americans love sweet this isn't going anywhere. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, like he just called me sweetie. I mean, it, it really kind of threw me, right? Like I'm sitting on the phone with somebody who calls you something that you don't expect him to say. And he said that he said that on the telephone, he actually called you sweetie. Sweetie. And was he trying to be clever? Cause he was about to say how people like things sweet. Cause it sounds like you already kind of like, cause what I'm hearing, I love this concept of framing up the problem. It's, it's really nice device because it sounds like the first problem framing up was 
gee, I'm drinking too much Diet Coke. And then the second problem was water can be boring. And then you were like, oh, here's some delicious water. And I wonder if this could be a business. And then it became a shelf life problem. And so you guys were fairly, I mean, you were fairly well along and you you knew from your own experience that there was at least it's probably not the case you were all alone in this. Uh, so that's a, that's a really condescending thing to say. Yeah. I mean, we were having customers sharing it with us. I mean, we were, you know, really like, again, we were primarily in the Bay Area at that time, but we thought, I don't know, like, let's talk to this big company and see what they think. And, you know, it's funny because I've told this story a lot. And sometimes when I'm out speaking and, you know, I'll have entrepreneurs raise their hand and ask this question, like, because he had so much experience and, you know, didn't you, like, why didn't that stop you? Like at that point, why didn't you guys just like throw in the towel? And I said, because what I realized is that his mission was to sell more stuff and primarily like sweet stuff, right? And what my mission was, was not necessarily to sell lots of bottles. Obviously, I was always a for-profit company, but it was to actually give people health, which is exactly what I had experienced on my own. And so what he actually confirmed in that conversation, which is not really what I anticipated at, at all, was that he was on a different mission and a different track. He was going down a different river, right? Than I was. And so that's when I woke up and I just said, if I don't actually go build this company, then they're not going to go build this because they really want to encourage people to, you know, continue to have sweet. And so that was, you know, that was sort of the beginning, the serious beginning. I mean, obviously we were serious when we launched, but, you know, had so many doubts plenty of doubters coming in. And at this point, it was really the, the moment where I thought nobody else kind of sees this vision. And frankly, I mean, that's, that's sort of a whole other piece of this as well, which is, you know, we not only built a beverage company, but we also built a category, which is called unsweetened flavored water. So, you know, the number of times that we would go in and talk to buyers about, um, you know, just, Hey, do you want to put hit on the shelf? They're like, okay, so you're not like vitamin water. So I can't really put you in there and you're not really soda and I can't put you in there and you're not plain water and we don't have a category for you. So sorry, like we, we can't do it. We're like, we'll just create a category. And so many times we heard from these buyers, that's like above my pay grade. You know, I can't just create a category. And so I think we didn't know what we didn't know was the answer. We were learning quickly along the way, but some of the stuff, you know, we had to like wait, right. To, in order to get distributed in these places until they changed the rules about what the, the map looked like on, on their shelves. And then, you know, other places we would take a tiny opportunity and, you know, and do really well and then go in with the right analytics to show that our, you know, same store sales, for example, were higher than many of these products that they had on the shelf that were getting more space. 
And so you have a buyer that starts to hear that kind of stuff, you know, and again, either you have a buyer that gets it or you have a buyer that doesn't get it. But we happen to run into a lots of buyers who got it and saw how we, we were turning on the shelf. And then they were like, oh, okay, well, not only are we interested in putting your product on the shelf and giving you more space, but, you know, potentially maybe we'll be removing other things from the shelf because of what you guys have shared with us. So I think we just took a different angle in, you know, kind of more of a sales approach that was, you know, again, we didn't know the rules. We were just kind of doing it from, from, you know, just us learning the industry. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a special offer for Indispensables listeners. Get a free case of Hint Water when you buy Kara's new book, Undaunted. Simply place your order at www.drinkhint.com front slash Indispensables. That's a free case of Hint Water with your order of Undaunted at www.drinkhint.com slash Indispensables. Now back to the show. So is that what you mean when you say, uh, if you think you have to know it all before you start something, you'll never start anything? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's one thing that, you know, really the reason why the title of the book too, is that, you know, not only did I have lots of doubts and fears and, you know, failures along the way, but I think that I just assumed that people who have lots of industry experience were the ones that were ultimately going to, you know, wave their magic wand and solve the problems. And the reality is, is that the best innovators in every single industry are the ones that maybe were consumers, like wanted a product like this. And other times, you know, and oftentimes it was just like solving a need, right? It wasn't that they had worked at a large company for years and years and years in the space. And then they decided to go, you know, innovate because so often when you work in these large companies, you're actually kind of trained, right? To think a certain way. I don't fault the person, you know, at that large soda company in in Atlanta for, you know, maybe calling me (laughs) sweetie, but I mean, not, but, you know, it was like he didn't go and work for that company because he wanted to change health in America. He went there to actually sell, you know, a soda. Right. And by the way, they have the rest of these products in the, in, in the company. But there is most people in any of these large soda companies are not going there. Uh, they're they're smart people. They're not going there because they actually think that they're going to get you know, America and the world healthier. And that is really what our mission is today. And part of the reason why we've really helped the consumer by bringing them other products, we just launched a hand sanitizer. I mean, our core product obviously is the water, but, you know, we've done things around sunscreen and deodorant and some other things really not only to help the consumer, but I believe also um, lead industries to actually do better for the consumer around health. Well, I think it's, you know, when you can have a mission driven business, I think it's a different kind of enterprise. It's different for everyone involved. And so I think when you can really stay focused on a mission and if the mission is, um, you know, teaching people to enjoy water because it's much more healthy, 
to drink lots of water. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a different kind of, uh, experience to, to be running a business that is, uh, mission focused. Yeah. And it's, it's also, I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier today and telling them that since day one, you know, we've had consumers, um, who have been writing to us saying like, you know, you were the first step in helping me know that I can do it. Or lots of people saying you helped me drink water. Lots of people saying you helped me lose weight. Lots of people um, sharing that they used our product to get through chemotherapy because it helps mask the metallic taste that you get. So I feel like as a founder and you know, just as a a CEO, but also somebody who developed a new category. I mean, those messages, it's not just us like, you know, putting up a sign saying mission-driven company. I think it's actually the consumers that are ultimately making those decisions. And I'm quite sure that they're not writing those emails, you know, to kind of our traditional beverage competitors, right? Well, I don't think Coca-Cola gets that a lot, but, uh, but yeah. let, me, let me ask you because um, I'm, I'm interested in uh, the relationship dynamics and, uh, you know, sort of how you conduct yourself. And I, I prefer uh, mission-driven leaders as uh, guests because I think they have a different approach to relationships. But let me ask you something. H how did you handle that conversation with, with when he called you sweetie? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I actually felt really fortunate um, to be able to even, you know, be this tiny little speck on the map and with no experience. And I'm like talking to this person who's, you know, calling me sweetie. And obviously, you know, probably had a few choice words, you know, thinking about um, that moment of sort of how I was, you know, feeling about that conversation. But I also felt like I was getting an insight glimpse into what their strategy was, like what they really believed was the case, right, of, of who these consumers were. And as you mentioned, I mean, I saw firsthand that this was not what I wanted. I had been addicted to diet soda for years. And, you know, just by I, I aspired to be a plain water drinker, but always found water boring. And so I wanted this product and many friends wanted this product. And many consumers were writing to us and sharing with us that we had, you know, really helped them. And so I just really felt that he was wrong. Right. And when somebody is just so blatantly different, right? Than, than what you are. I think that it's, it's tough to listen to them. But on the other hand, I felt like it was like, gosh, like I wouldn't read about his strategy in the New York times. Right. He's like sharing it with me and it's awesome. And I'm, I wanted to, I was a sponge, you know, then, and still am like, I wanted to learn what, I could about how people thought about things. And so you didn't, you didn't scold him. No. And, and I think like, that's the thing. It's like, so many people have said to me, didn't you just like, I mean, people have said, did you scold him? Did you decide that, that you should just hang up the phone because he, he's like, so opposite. I'm like, no, because like, where else am I going to like learn about, I mean, he's had years of experience at this company and where else am I going to learn about how he thinks and how I can basically you know, set up my strategy, you know, combating this. I was really 
was and still am really appreciative that I had that opportunity. And I think like, that's, that's the thing, like people fear, like entrepreneurs who I mentor, you know, will challenge, will talk to me about all these big companies and how, you know, they're just whatever, challenging them on the shelf or not allowing them to get into a distributor or, you know, they always have reasons why, um, you know, they can't do something. And I said, I, I was just on the phone with somebody this morning in the tequila industry. And, and I said, you know, all those things are true that you're talking about, but at the end of the day, like figure out what can you do, right? Cause that isn't changing their, their business isn't changing any. And so I think that if you can actually figure out what you can do, then the way to do that often is to study businesses, right? In your industry. It doesn't mean that you have to listen to them. It means that you find the holes and you find, you know, the thinking. I think that's true in any industry. So for somebody who's trying to be an innovator or um, an entrepreneur, is that the golden question? Like once you have your vision and then you start to tackle some of the problems and, wow, we can't do this. Um, well, what can we do? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's right. And I just, I just think so much of the time, again, I'm thinking back to this conversation even earlier today, but so much of the time it's that, you know, you have those hard days, right. As an entrepreneur and, you know, you're trying to figure things out and it's kind of an easy block to sort of blame somebody else for why you can't move forward. Right. Like it's, it's like, Oh, well that distributor, you won't do this because you know, we all do it. Right. But I think that in the bigger the name, the more credible it is, I guess. But at the end of the day, I, I've always had this mindset of there has to be something that can be done. And, you know, as as Theo said it earlier as well, I mean, it's it's just something, you know, that I've lived with. And I grew up the last of five kids. And I think I my dad liked to say no a lot because I had really naughty brothers. And, um, and so he, he just, you know, he was always saying like, I'd be like, can I, nope. Uh, are you, nope. And so I got into this like habit of saying, okay, well, what can I do? And, and I think it's the same thing today that most entrepreneurs should really, it's okay to actually know what you can't do don't get frustrated and use it as a stepping stone to figure out what you can do. Yeah. Well, in a way, parameters, guardrails uh, are a tremendous gift for somebody who wants to have autonomy and creativity, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Pe but people will like say, you know, well, I can't do that because my boss said, like, I can't do something. I mean, it's not just, it's not, not just, I mean, I could think of a million examples and instead like figure out what you ultimately can do. And, and I think also when you start to get bigger and you start to really put like, and have some wins behind you, then you also get some ability to actually go do things as well. Yeah. I think actually, you know, you start with what you can do, what, you know, the world has given you permission to do. But as you make progress, you can flex a little and expand that a little bit. Actually, there's a really great example um, when it comes to getting shelf space. Kara mentioned, you know, that's one of the challenges is how do you, you know, get space on the shelf? Well, it turns out we didn't know this when we started, 
most of the shelf space in grocery stores is controlled by uh, your competitors, the big beverage companies. They pay money to uh, the grocery stores uh, to lock out, you know, huge blocks of that of that shelf space. And in some grocery stores, they actually get to decide uh, what the competition gets to do uh, through this concept they call category captains. And that's where a big retailer decides that, you know, they'll let the biggest uh, player in a category be the category captain and not necessarily decide everything, but basically they, in, they heavily influence, you know, who gets on the shelf, what products go where, uh, and they, they can even define categories. And one of the interesting things that happened a couple years into building this is that vitamin water was acquired by Coke. Uh, for $4.2 billion, which was an unheard of uh, valuation. And I guess they started, had started to see that, uh, you know, once people started to be a little interested in health, maybe they needed to start getting in drinks that at least seemed healthy. Obviously, sugary vitamin water wasn't healthy for anybody, nor was the, uh, the zero calorie version. Uh, but they defined a category around that called functional water. And that was a tough, tough thing for us to get into because we don't really have functional water. I mean, other than the fact that the water is actually the most functional thing, which is what we argued. But behind the scenes, we spent you know a fair amount of time talking to buyers about uh, really thinking of the category a little bit differently. We said, it's great that you have functional water. Obviously, you're selling a lot of that, but isn't it really enhanced water? It, it's something beyond water that isn't, you know, like a soda or a soft drink. And um, if you say things enough and kind of do it casually enough and let them think it's their idea, sometimes people adopt your terminology. I don't know if we were the only ones saying you should think of it as enhanced water, but I know we said it a lot. And I know that that category started to become the enhanced water set. That's fascinating, actually. So in other words, that was really a, 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 a linguistic strategy, right? I, I, I probably don't fully understand the, the retail category issue. Obviously, I don't understand it in depth. But, but what you're saying is you tried to give them another, a whole other way of thinking about it. Yep. Yeah, it's sort of a yes and kind of linguistic approach. Like you're, you don't like argue with them about should you have a functional water category, uh, but you just say, yeah, oh, that's really great. And, and you know, there are other enhanced waters that could like fit right in there, you know, with that. And, and you try and maybe use some examples beyond the one you're trying to get in there. So that makes the functional water a subset of the enhanced water. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I like that. And, and how much of this is relationship management? Well, it's interesting because when we started this, you know, there was a transition that was starting from relationship-based stuff in grocery stores with buyers who had been there for 20, 30 years or more uh, to um, a more of a, like a business school uh, graduate uh, type uh, grocery buyer uh, who companies would rotate in and out. Because I think what happened is a lot of grocery stores, after taking uh, money and allowing decisions to be made by vendors for so many years, 
uh, started to open themselves up to competition from upstarts uh, like Whole Foods, which never got that huge, you know, but was very scary to the the big guys uh, because uh, they were getting the premium end of the consumer population, you know, higher higher rings per visit, you know, bigger they call it bigger baskets per visit per visit, meaning they're spending more. And those those people who were willing to spend more were not going to the classic grocery stores because the decisions weren't being made based on what the consumer wanted so much as they were being made based on what Coke, Pepsi, Unilever, Procter and Gamble wanted. Mm. And so they started uh, doing things like Target does. You know, they'll put someone in as a buyer, uh, train them. Uh, but only let them stay in that position for like six months or maybe at the outside a year or two. Um, there are issues with that, of course, and this isn't a seminar on the grocery business, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. But, but there was this change happening. So relationships were still important in the beginning. Relationships can always be helpful, uh, but uh, there's a real concerted effort on the part of the industry to avoid making decisions based on on relationships. They're trying to let data drive the decisions. Yeah. I mean, they're not there yet, but they really are trying. And I think it's very smart of, of companies uh, like, you know, Kroger and Target and, and Walmart um, to uh, make decisions that are based on data about what consumers actually decide to do. It's still very hard to break into a grocery store. I mean, if you're thinking of starting a grocery products business and and go to Walmart and get it on the shelf, I mean, good luck to you. I'm not going to tell you it can't be done because obviously we wouldn't we wouldn't be here if it couldn't be done. If you tell me it can't be done, you know what I'm going to ask you? What can I do? That's what I'm going to ask you. Let me ask you guys, um, what's it like? Working together, I mean, it, it, you've you've already described it. And it sounds like you are real, like brainstorming partners, and obviously bring different strengths to the table. And but are, are there unique challenges? Are there unique advantages? Yeah, I mean, I think we have really different skill sets, and you know, I think like Theo fully joined, not because it was his idea, or you know, frankly. It was he didn't have the diet coke addiction, right? That I did, but he saw in his family, right, that it this was something that needed to be solved. And and so I think what people do for your family too is is that he jumped in and you know said, okay, well let me help, right? But once he jumped in, I think you know he also saw that this was kind of a bigger problem and potentially like a much bigger solve for a lot more people, which got him really, really interested. And, you know, when it, in his previous role at Z Medics, it was really to help people get healthy, but through medicine, but he started really looking at, gosh, like, this is crazy. Like you, you could actually change people's health just by getting them to switch off of, you know, a drink. I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting. So I think he saw it as a problem that had an easier solve that maybe more people would just start doing and then they would see that the the problem, you know, was solved. But I think also, um, you know, along the way, I think it's really interesting because, you know, we do brainstorm and we'll go on hikes and we'll brainstorm about, you know, different things along the way. But in addition to that, I think also our four kids who were under the age of six at that time. I mean, there's now they're 
three of them in college and one is still in high school. It's like raising a family and having a business are our two priorities. And I look at two founders who met in business school and they're starting a company. And I always worry even more about those situations because I think it's it's like, what if one founder decides to go off and have a family? Like, how are you going to feel about that? Right. Like for us, you know, that was definitely something that people would say, oh, I don't know if I want to invest in this because it's like, you know, you guys are married and and I don't know how that's all going to work out. For, the reality is, is like it's worked out fine. Um, you know, I'm sure there's two founders that start a company that went to business school together where it works out fine, too. But I feel like there's more pieces in that situation than there is in this situation. And I think also just having two different really skill sets is is also so important. When I see founders who, again, are both like engineers or both marketing or, you know, that that is like, for me, a red flag even more so um, because I think it's, you've got to have, you've got to build a company with people who are able to help that company scale. And, and I think like, that's what we were able to do. But again, we didn't sit there and date and get married and think like one day we're going to go start a company together. You know, like that wasn't even like it either. I think, you know, he was being supportive and he's continued to be supportive, you know, along the way. And I think also the other thing that, you know, I've said to people, especially poor people who are homeschooling their kids, like under the age of like seven now I've said, like, I'm not going to lie. Like that was, that was like crazy times for us, you know, when our kids were really young and I can only imagine this, you know, one piece of complexity, but now that our kids are older, I mean, the amount of things that they know about starting a company and also seeing that their parents are not only working together, but also passionate about what they do. Like, I just feel like, that was another piece that I never really, I didn't start a company for that reason, but I'm pretty happy, you know, that they learn. I mean, just as I haven't even said this to Theo, but just as a small point, our, our son wanted to pick up some extra money. And um, so he said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do DoorDash. I'm going to be a DoorDash driver. And I was kind of like, really? Like you're, you're going to go be a DoorDash driver. And he said, yeah, it's um, it's really easy. Some of my friends are doing it, and so he gets set up as a DoorDash driver, and you know gets his app. And I'm like excited because he's you know got a job. He's of course like 18, and he's got his car. So the first night, you know, he makes like a little less than a hundred bucks. The second night, makes over a hundred bucks, and then the third night, I think he made like 130 dollars, like in like three hours work. And I said. So why do you think, like, is it that people buy more food or order out more, or, or I should say order in more on Thursday night than like a Tuesday night? And he said, no, I actually have figured out that there's certain neighborhoods that have families. So there's more people in the house. So their orders are going to be bigger and you get an automatic tip, right? And put into the app. And so, so those are the, you know, houses that you're going to accept from. And I was like, that is so interesting. And so 
like he said, yeah, like in this neighborhood, it's all like homes with kids. And at 530, they're they're ordering pizza for a bunch of kids. So it's going to be a higher ring. But again, like it like he's got parents who are entrepreneurs, like, of course, like he's figured out these little holes. And again, like that, that that is, you know, something that I just feel like is is really not only helping us. I mean, I'm happy that he's getting a little bit of income, but also, you know, also like, how does he think that way? Like, how does he, like, where are the holes? I mean, again, I can't take credit for everything, but I think some of it is just knowing that, you know, you figure out the, the, exactly what's going on in the, in the problem. Keenan, he's in the book. Um, actually, he's, uh, I, don't, I don't know that he's actually read this chapter, but one of his friends who uh, I gave an early copy to, um, who has kind of followed, is a huge Hint fan and has followed our journey, I think, mentioned this to him. But um, back in, I think it was 2012 when Lean In um, came out and he saw Sheryl Sandberg on on TV talking about, you know, her book and leaning in and the fact that there aren't very many women CEOs. And he said, mom, there's like not very many women CEOs, but you're a woman CEO. And I thought, oh, great. Where, where are we going with this conversation? And um, he said, so why is it that aren't, that women aren't CEOs? Cause you're a good CEO. And I was like, well, that's a, a really good question. And you know, what I realized is, I mean, sort of another piece that I talk about in the book too, is that actually, you know, bringing boys, um, you know, into the conversation and actually seeing, you know, like working with your spouse and doing things a little bit differently just trains people to know that it's okay, even though it's not maybe the most, you know, common, right? And, and so for, for me actually seeing that as a parent, it gives me hope that he'll not only be willing maybe to work for a female CEO, but also, you know, to be better about promoting women, um, to be a great parent, if that's what he chooses to be right to be a, a great spouse, if that's what he chooses, like all of these things, like, I feel like he, kids are sponges, right? They they watch the stuff, and I think they, you know, they think about things. So is it is it fun working together? Yeah, I mean, like honestly, this the work from home um, thing that goes on. I mean, I can't say that Theo and I really even see each other that much during the day, though, because you know, obviously for, for conference calls, you know, we have different things that we're doing, and and with my book launch, I think that that is like you know, another set where we don't, you know, we get out of here before dinner, right? We get out of our little spaces. Um, How many employees do you guys have? Um, almost 200 now. So I think that that was another thing that I feel like we were a little bit fortunate, maybe, you know, and sort of deal how to manage virtually. Like I've managed since AOL. I mean, I've managed lots of people virtually, but then um, a lot of our team is virtual because they're salespeople throughout the U.S. So you have you have a field sales. Is is that a big part of your employee population? Yeah. Field sales. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of them. The majority of it. And 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 you guys must feel like even though uh, 
you you were you were accidental field sales, but this image I still have of you uh, that you raised earlier of going around in your Jeep with your short shelf life product trying to get shelf space early on. So you guys really get what field sales feels like, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean we we did this job. We've done almost every job in the company, probably not as competently as the people doing them now. But um, but we can say like between the two of us, we've we've literally done every job in the company, and and it helps us. It gives us you know perspective, and you know we know the frustrations that they run into, and we know the things that they get excited about and celebrate, and we celebrate them with them. You know, I always ask people like if someone wants to be like you, Kara, or someone who wants to be like you, Theo. Um, you know, if somebody says, well, how do I get to be like that? If you have, what's your sort of one takeaway piece of advice that you would give to someone? That's easy. Try. Yeah, just try. Like, just go out and try. And I think like, that's the key thing that, you know, sometimes I just think that people just have to break their fears and, you know, and, and stop, you know, get out of like conventional you know, wisdom around why you can't do things. And, you know, whether it's because a big company is going to block me or I don't have the right education or I have too many kids. I mean, I think just by reading my story, hopefully it will give people, you know, hope that I didn't have it all figured out. Right. I still don't. I still don't have it all figured out, but I go and try. And I think so much of the time we, we don't try. We, we, we prevent ourselves from actually trying because we convince ourselves that we can't try. I love it. Theo. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I also, I think one of the things Kara doesn't talk as much about, but she does talk about in the book is that, you know, anything worth doing, it really takes a lot of work and you have to be prepared to put in the time, put, put in the effort. And uh, early in your career, you need to be willing to just work because that's what you need to do to build, you know, a career or make some money or, or whatever it is. You know, when she started out at a very low level at uh, Time Magazine, she made sure she got in before her boss arrived and she left after her boss left. And uh, she made very little money. I mean, she had, she was living in New York City earning, you know, something in the 20,000 range and uh, figured out that there's always, you know, leftover sandwiches uh, at the end of a meeting in the conference room. And that's, that's how she ate. And, um, you know, not willing to do things and like that. And Diet Coke. <laughs> Diet Coke. <laughs> Unlimited Diet Coke in the conference room. But uh, <laughs> if you're not willing to um, be scrappy and work hard, uh, it's very hard to achieve many things. I mean, we see a lot of young people these days who do work hard, but we we see a lot of young people who are in a race to get to be the youngest CEO. It's not a good strategy. It really isn't. Good old-fashioned hard work. Uh, you know, you can't sit there for 30 years hoping someone's going to recognize your hard work and give you the career you want, but you also can't, you know, come straight out of school uh, with maybe a few very, very notable exceptions. You, you can't just step out of school and, and be the CEO and have everything uh, go perfectly. You know, in, in 08, 09, uh, another difficult economic time, 
uh, I felt terrible. Kara felt terrible for uh, the hardship that many people went through, some of whom never recovered fully from it. Um, but it was one of the best things to happen to America in history because all these kids, you know, who would like take a job as a summer intern, you know, and then quit a week later, uh, you know, and you'd ask them, well, what's wrong? You really wanted this job, you know, and now you're quitting a week later, you know, they'd say, oh, well, I didn't know I would have to lift so many heavy cases of water, you know, and <laughs> I would just laugh because I lifted heavy cases of water. Kara lifted heavy cases of water and we were still doing it in 08 and 09. Um, but, but uh, you know, summer of 08, we were hearing that. Summer of 09, we didn't hear that because, uh, those kids, you know, whose parents could just pay for them to sail through life, uh, were telling them, "Listen, you need to contribute because we're in big trouble here." And uh, I don't, I don't like seeing people in trouble, but I think we also have to recognize sometimes you need a little reset, and people need to get back to the the most important American value, which is work ethic. Uh, so I think work hard. That's great. So between the two of you, though, you know, I often say that if you if you were to boil down uh, my books and, and the advice I'm always giving is, you know, take a walk every day and eat your vegetables, the fundamentals go a long way. And so um, for two people as phenomenally uh, intelligent and well uh, uh, spoken, but as successful. I mean, look, you know, what Americans want to be successful. I shouldn't just say Americans people. Most people want to be successful. And when they look at somebody at, at, at a couple like the two of you, you know, each and both together, they say, well, how do I get to be like you? And I love that your answer is try and then and work hard. So, you know, if you want to be unstoppable, I guess you have to be undaunted. Absolutely. I, I, I love uh, this. And uh, so thank you both for being uh, guests on The Indispensables. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. And, and definitely, if, um, if uh, people are looking for the book, you can go to undauntedthebook.com. And also it's available on Amazon. And it'll be on, um, as of October 20th, it'll be on Audible. Um, as well. And um, just really excited. Um, and if you want to follow Hint's journey and and um, definitely on social at Hint, but also um, Kara Golden, K-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-N. In our next episode, I'll talk with Cam Marston, CEO and founder of Generational Insights. We talked about leading with integrity and career transformation. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a special offer for Indispensables listeners. Get a free case of Hint Water when you buy Kara's new book, Undaunted. Simply place your order at www.drinkhint.com 
front slash indispensables. That's a free case of Hint water with your order of Undaunted at www.drinkhint.com slash indispensables. 